1: All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber
2: Law and Business Report.
1: Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly.
2: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the ho- downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We got a great show for you today on this 2017 International Women's Day. Um, and shout out to all the. The women in our lives, and, um, and all the, the amazing women, and in, in especially in the internet industry, who have done great things. And um, but we're going to talk about an issue that we've talked about quite a fair amount, and that's net neutrality. And we we probably have had over a half dozen shows on this topic. Many of them, which with Free Press and Matt Wood, and so he is back as we continue uh, what what is kind of this ongoing epic, um, similar to the Star Wars um, epic, and uh, we, we seem to be you know, back on back almost well fighting, fighting to not go backwards. But Matt, are you with us.
3: I'm here. Thanks so much for having me back. For,
2: thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you for okay. joining us. And uh, for those listening, um, we have show notes on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And as usual, you can follow us along on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio. So, Matt, um, this has been a long and winding road to steal a common phrase and song. And it seems that there's so many twists and turns. You know, first, net neutrality gets approved. Uh, through Chairman Janikowski in 2000 and, um, 2011, and um, and then we have it gets overturned in 2014, and the court says if you really want to do it right, you have to do it under Title II, which we can explain in a minute what that is, and then the um, Chairman Williams goes ahead and says, yeah, okay. And they pass uh, a, an open Internet order under um, Title Two, and, and it gets affirmed. Um, but now we have a new administration, and they want to unravel that. So why don't you give us a, a, kind of a quick summary of how we got here?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, just to start with the unraveling and start in the present day and go back to, it is funny, as you mentioned, the, the court, something of a roadmap here in the D.C. Circuit for the FCC, and eventually they followed it with a lot of prodding, both from legal arguments that we and hundreds of others of commenters filed at the FCC, but also thanks to millions of people telling the FCC to do this the right way and to adopt strong rules. uh, Things seemed to be settled for a resounding victory in the D.C. Circuit, uh, where everything in the order that the FCC adopted in 2015 was upheld, and... You know, among the many things upset by the election, uh, and the surprising results there was uh, the FCC is a majority appointed by the president. So with Donald Trump's election, you get a Republican majority now at the Federal Communications Commission. I have to pause here, as I always do, and say this should not be a partisan issue, and I don't really think that it is outside the Beltway. So we have survey numbers from a few years ago. Around 80% of people thought there was a role for government to play here. They didn't just say, I like the Internet the way it is. They saw a need to have some kind of protection. Well, and phone companies who might like to act as gatekeepers on the Internet and decide where you go and what you can see and what you can say online. Um, But inside of D.C., it has become, uh, over the last decade or so, a very partisan issue. Uh, Not every Democratic lawmaker has lined up on the right side of it in our view over the years, but reliably just about every Republican has been on the wrong side of it for the past decade. And so with Congress, with chambers uh, in Republican hands, and with the FCC, now run, it comes from the presidential election, you know, we're basically having to do it all over again and fight to defend what we won in 2015 at the FCC and then in 2016 in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals.
2: Now, by winning in the, in the Court of Appeals and, and winning in, in 2015, the um the net neutrality rules provide that basically you can't discriminate against content. You know, you have to treat everything fair evenly and no favoritism of content. And we had a number of carriers that were offering what, what seemed to be a great for consumers, these free unlimited data, well, not free, but unlimited data plans for, um, for consumers, but it was unlimited only for certain data and and mainly the, the, um, the cable providers or the ISP providers own data and at the exclusion of other data. Right. And so we, we had a discrimination of data, which, um, in the closing days of the Obama administration, there was an investigation going on as to whether or not that violated the net neutrality rules. Correct?
3: Yeah, that's right. This process is sometimes referred to as zero rating because you can rate traffic at no cost either to the user's monthly usage cap or no cost that they were paying on sort of a pay-as-you-go, megabyte-by-megabyte uh, megabyte basis. Uh, you summed it up correctly, the, the Obama administration, the FCC under the previous chairman, Tom Wheeler, was looking into these practices. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, they all share some common traits, but a lot of the different wireless carriers, especially, were doing it in different ways. T-Mobile had one approach, AT&T and Verizon had another. Um, you know, I don't want to short circuit the discussion about the potential harms there. uh. And the magic words in the statute says that there can be no and un- it's not sort of a flat ban on discrimination, but there is some room for uh, whatever those plans might have represented. The market has almost, if not left them behind, it certainly changed even since the last few months have passed. You know, Now, and this is discussed in an FCC oversight hearing happening here on Wednesday morning, uh, you see all of the national wireless carriers returning to offer at least some kind of unlimited or untapped data plan. So, you know, the way the zero rating thing had worked, they like to call it free data was the carrier imposes a data cap and then lets you out from under it for certain types of content. Um, that could work as unreasonable discrimination, as you're saying, and as I would agree. Um, but, you know, we've almost evolved out from that in, in some directions here. And so the question for us was never really, you know, are all those plans the same or are they all equally harmful to internet users? Even if they're concerning the, the larger question that is also jeopardized by the change administration is whether there will be any kind of government oversight uh, to ask those questions. And, right. you know, I, I, I get that for some of the Republicans, uh, around the country perhaps, but especially the ones here in D.C., you know, government oversight of the Internet, they, they like to rally around that and say that that's a bad idea. But it's really just the same kind of rules we've had uh, for decades now on the phone system. The, the regulation of the phone system, they like to try to paint it old-fashioned, that's out of step with today's technology. But you never had the FCC regulating what you and I say to each other on the phone right here and now. Right. Uh, we just simply had rules that said, phone company doesn't get to decide either. You know, we provide the information and they simply carry it for us and transmit it between our two points. Uh, that's really all the neutrality is. I mean, as you said, the it non-discrimination law, and that's one great way to sum it up. And,
2: and, and like so it, It's
3: really just about making sure that the user decides what they're saying they can do with that connection. It's not up to the phone or cable company to dictate what we say or where we go.
2: So President Obama, excuse me, President Trump comes in And um, Chairman Wheeler steps down and we have a a new chairman designated um, by President Trump, Agent Pai, who had already been on the commission. And right away, he begins to change course. Uh, He drops investigations into um, whether those um, plans were violating the uh, net neutrality rules. And even goes further and reverses expansion of low-income grants, lifeline grants to cover broadband services, uh, and then um, scraps, or at least attempts to scrap, the um, privacy rules that were adopted by the FCC. So we we see right away an immediate break.
3: Yeah, exactly, on all those issues. And and we certainly see them all as important and all as related in some ways. See, which gets... Siloed pretty quickly. Uh, they're very different kinds of issues. In some respects, you know, different parts of the agency dealing with them. But those are really my top three as well. You know, the, the larger question of broadband affordability, um, which the Lifeline program is designed to address uh, and provide support for people with lowest incomes, otherwise couldn't afford to get on. Or, as we just saw, Jason Chaffetz stumbling into yesterday, I'm talking about the healthcare debate. Even if people were on a phone. A lot of people in this country don't have the same means as a member of Congress does. They have to make these almost impossible choices about, do I keep my communications channel that connects me to my family, or do I pay for my health care, or do I buy enough food this month? So, you know, broadband affordability should never be uh, set aside in this conversation, and we think that that's the real issue that we have left to solve when it comes to the digital divide. It's not just about uh, whether the network is available, but whether people can make use of it, whether they can afford it. So over so, the years, with the net neutrality portion of that debate, you know, the cable companies and the phone companies like to pretend that you can't have both, but somehow everything will be more affordable if we just let them discriminate and the, the money will trickle back to users. And you know, we reject the, both the premises and the conclusion there. We don't think that the best we can do is a discriminatory network that might be a little cheaper. Or that if you want to have a network that's actually open to all users, free from unreasonable discrimination, that, that somehow that means it's going to be out of reach for real, real people. You know that the competition and the choice people need is there if only the FCC will do its job on like both of those fronts.
2: So at this point, what is the, the plan for net neutrality? Is it to address it, uh, repeal it within the, within the FCC or re- repeal it through Congress or just let it kind of die a slow death?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think the answer is, uh, for one yes. thing, the Republicans <laughs> won't tell me. Uh, so I don't know exactly what their plan is. They've kind of made head fakes in all three of those directions. Um, so, you know, they get at this point because millions of people have spoken up over the last decade, let alone in the last round here at the FCC. they get that this is a popular notion and a popular rule on the books. So just simply taking it away is not really that appealing a prospect for them, either politically or legally, because it's not a simple process under administrative law that governs the FCC. and yet they talk about dismantling it at the agency. At the same time, you have people in the, especially John Thune, who chairs the Commerce Committee where the FCC oversight hearing was held today, who and replace it. Uh, it's yet another health care echo. Uh, we just don't like the way the FCC did it. We don't like the Title II legal foundation, but we like net neutrality, we swear, uh, despite all the nasty things we've said about it over the years. And of the spectrum from him, though, right there on that same committee, you have people like Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson, uh, a less well-known senator from Wisconsin, Ted Cruz, too. Almost... You know, whether they mean to do it or not, standing up to defy their own chairman, John Soon, from South Dakota, and trotting out some of the most ridiculous, you know, saying it's Obamacare for the Internet, whatever that's supposed to be.
2: Yeah. What does Uh, that mean? Does anyone have a clue?
3: (laughs) I have no idea. I think what they mean by all of even this might be giving them too much credit. As you know, it's going to be slower and worse for everybody. Uh, which doesn't really jibe with their other talking points. Somehow, net neutrality is supposed to be only for elites. And, you know, they, they claim they want to make things more affordable by getting rid of net neutrality. If they turn around and say that net neutrality will, will you know, make things cheaper. Uh, so it just doesn't hang together. The, about the only commonality, as I was saying earlier, is that in both cases these are actual popular or even essential rules that a lot of Republicans in D.C. want to. Have no real plan to replace them. And, Ted Cruz isn't shy. You know, he basically says this is a solution in search of a problem, which is a, a talking point from a decade ago, flying yeah. directly in the face of students saying we're going to have our own version of it. And then Ron Johnson came out today with a, a pretty stirring defense of website blocking. Uh, it was it was almost a series of tubes worthy. I think I tweeted out if you stumbling into internet policy, it's looking pretty silly a decade ago. So Ron Johnson said you have to let people block all this traffic that's coming over the bridge or else they won't build their broadband network in the first place. I think it's about that confused right now. You have a lot of people on the Republican side in DC who can only agree on the fact that they don't like the current rules, but have really no consistent way of pretending they're gonna fix it or uproot it or do something in between.
2: So let me just fill in fill in some of the um some of the blanks. You, you, you just came from a Senate Commerce Committee hearing, and okay. um, and the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee is John Doon um, from South Dakota, who is trying to advocate somewhat of a middle ground on net neutrality. Is that fair to say?
3: I mean, that's how he paints it. You know, What they want to say is that the version adopted by the previous FCC chairman was extreme, uh, an overreach, and a power grab. None of that's true, but they say that in order to bolster the case for some sort of supposed legislative fix. And they actually did have a bill that they trotted out in 2015, right before the FCC voted, to try to stave off that vote. And, you know, it it had some net neutrality rules baked into it, and, and they want to make this suggestion that it's a good thing to put these rules into law rather than leaving them in agency rules. Uh, The problem was that the rules they proposed were full of loopholes, even for net neutrality protections. And then the the trade-off they offered was, we're going to get rid of the FCC's rulemaking authority, we're going to take it off of its broadband competition and privacy duties and and put the FCC out of business in exchange for having a a few net neutrality rules enshrined into the statute. Uh, That's just not good enough. And so that's why... When he said it's a middle ground, we certainly think that it's uh, you know, mediocre at best and, and more of a, a no-man's land that doesn't offer real protections, but that would be net neutrality in Maine alone, if even that.
2: And a decade ago, the, the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee was the esteemed Ted Stevens from Alaska, who made the famous comment that the Internet is not a truck, it's a series of tubes. Something it, like that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so you you came up with it was an oversight hearing in the at the Senate Commerce Committee on the FCC, and you know the, they have a new chairman um, who's just apparently just been appointed to another six year term.
3: Yeah, it's five years. Finally, five years. Um, he's been renominated by by President Trump. He would need to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, you know, which should happen because they have everything at the same party now, but it hasn't been sealed yet.
2: So, in in terms of what you walk away from that hearing today, where do you think that neutrality is going?
3: Well, as I said, you know, I think it's confused because most of the Republican Party apparatus in D.C., which I don't think, would humbly submit, is actually reflective of what. Republicans, Democrats, or Independents around the country think about this issue. You know, none of them want the cable companies telling them what to do on the internet. But that's that's the claim you almost hear you know, ad nauseum here in Washington from Republicans that net neutrality is really a bad thing. If only they could tell us why. Uh, so it's just it's a very broken field right now. You have even Chairman Pai. I think Chairman Pai at the FCC and Chairman Thune in that Commerce Committee in the Senate. Trying to make it look like they're going to fix the problems that they claim exist and that we think are fictional. Uh, but then you have other people who, like Ted Cruz and Mark Blackburn, is another one on the House of Representatives side, who seem more dead set against the concept. So I keep making these analogies to the healthcare debate, and I don't mean to be glib or to cheapen either side of that issue, but I think they're very fair, not because there's any similarity between the laws in ways that Ted Cruz would pretend. But because you have really a pretty big split, even between Republicans in D.C. about what to do about it, you know, should they just repeal it and say that regulation is always bad and the free market will save us all in broadband space, or they try to offer up at least some kind of fig leaf and some kind of purported compromise on net neutrality that will, you know, in their hope stave off the anger of millions of people saying, why are you taking this away from us, uh, rather than a, a more straightforward repeal, if they want to call it that.
2: Well, one, one thing about the, the free market that works is that uh, we, we are advertising supported. So we're yeah. going to take a short break, and but when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. Uh, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on um, cranberry.fm.
1: Cyber Law and Business Report, after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrand. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. E-brands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. E-brands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. E-brands. Let e-brands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's e-brands with a Z for
3: eBrands.
1: Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This
2: is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Matt Wood about the state of net neutrality in this new Trump administration. And I'd like to put this in context a little. And you've dealt with a number of issues before the FCC, and when... When there's comments submitted on a proposed rule, what is the ordinary amount of comments a rule might get? What's a fair range?
3: I mean, it really varies. You know, we at Free Press and some other groups pioneered, I think it's fair to say, and not like we invented something totally brand new, but helping to get real people's voices into these dockets. Um, So, you know, that neutrality was the record holder.
2: Three million.
3: Think, there's four million, which is the Official, the semi-official panel. You know, it, it's a little hard for the people seem to have settled on four million. But you have petitions coming in sometimes with hundreds or thousands of signatures on them, and then sometimes you have individual comments. However, this, accurate the tabulation was, it's like four million for net neutrality and really nothing else close. I mean, they've gotten hundreds of thousands of comments on privacy rulemaking, which is another thing that the GPI wants to roll back. Uh, they've probably gotten hundreds of thousands on things like Comcast-Time Warner cable merger and some others, but you know a, a more typical like FCC license adjudication between a broadcaster and the agency itself uh, that isn't a rulemaking but might still be open to comment from the public. Uh, you know that's going to have half dozen comments in it that are just nothing more than legal filings by the parties' attorneys. So it's, it's a pretty wide range, but, you know, some of them, thanks to groups like ours calling attention to the importance of them, uh, have got millions of people to weigh in. Net neutrality is at the front of the pack on that one.
2: And and, and so four million people commented. There's broad support in the polls. A lot of Republicans support net neutrality. So Republicans, are, aren't are they a little bit daunted in approaching, you know, dismantling this?
3: I think so. I mean, I think that's where you get, not from any actual of heart, um, but more from recognizing just how much their own constituents and, you know, most people in the country believe in this principle once they know what it is. Uh, so they have very, very dramatically shifted, you know, in the, in the wake of and even before those millions of comments started to pour into the FCC, as it says, it's like Ted Cruz and Marsha Blackburn are almost pulling out talking points from a decade ago to say this is a bad idea and right. that's not where every Republican is anymore in their talking points. They say, it's, a, it's a good idea. We just want to do it a, a different way and right. try to obfuscate, obscure, and go after the legal basis rather than uh, letting on that they're actually opposed to the policy too.
2: And, and here's where I wonder if this could be the political miscalculation um, to watch out for because so far we've seen the tech community and the Trump administration spar on for example the travel ban um, mm-hmm. we're about to see them spar I think on the HB1 visa as that, that gets scaled back uh, I would expect a fight there but you know that's I think that's just gonna be jabbing i I don't see that being a full out battle, whereas net neutrality is different in that it not only doesn't involve the industry but it involves its constituents um right. people within the internet you know kind of user space, you know they're the ones that are part of that four million people who responded and And so unlike anything else that we've seen so far you know, this could be, I don't know if this is the bridge too far, or this will be the the one issue where Trump actually starts alienating his base.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's right. There's been so much ink spilled since the election on trying to guess who Trump's base is and what they think, and I don't know, I think it's, it's complicated, not because I don't believe that we have most people on the side of not just that neutrality as sort of a fuzzy principle, but keeping in place some kinds of rules that keep AT&T and Comcast from having their way with no check on them. I guess the reason I say it's complicated, though, nonetheless, is that neutrality was very popular among, uh, I think it's certain to say extremely conservative uh, constituency groups 10 years ago. You know, when we started the the Internet Coalition that was drawing attention to this issue back in 2005 and six. You had the Gun Owners of America and the Christian Coalition Parent Television Council uh, right there alongside, and they were also concerned about media ownership issues. Um, and I think it was this notion that, and I think a true one, that uh, people who would describe themselves more as social conservatives and as social progressives or liberals, perhaps too, Uh, From both sides of the political spectrum, they were concerned about the idea that a single company could control their access to the Internet. Not only how much they pay for it every month, but whether they can even get their messages out. So famously, in 2007, uh, Move On and the Christian Coalition joined together and wrote about their joint support for net neutrality in the Washington Post. And... I uh, think it was NARAL and the Christian Coalition as well came together when Verizon was blocking text messages that were being sent to uh, members of pro-choice advocacy organizations on the theory that, you know, this might be too controversial and maybe Verizon doesn't want its customers being bothered by such messages. And, and that's where you saw people on both the left and the right stand up and say, no, you know, we don't agree on much of anything. But we do agree that we should decide what we say and who we're talking to, you, both on the phone and online, too. Right. Um, a lot of that was eroded over the last decade, at least inside of BC. And I guess this is where I would also posit that the Silicon Valley libertarian street. Yes. If it's fair to say that, makes makes people more shy than looking to law in the first place as something that should be invoked or involved. And then, you know, yet another strand potentially of Trump's base, whatever that actually amounts to, is you know, more typical, like pro-business, right? "Quote unquote," you know, laissez-faire. Uh, let's take the rules away because that allows businesses to prosper. You know, we don't buy that. We think that being actually free market doesn't mean you have to be pro-monopolies. But that is the way that a lot of the companies and Republican lobbying strategy they've taken over the years has gone. Uh, so, it, it, you know, I'll finish where I started. It, it's kind of a complicated mix. You just, you know, there are such things as threads on Reddit with people saying, I'm a Trump voter. And of course, I want to neutrality. I can't have Tom Taff telling me what to do. You know, another anecdote, but even more personal. On Election Day, I was standing at a polling place with a Republican volunteer, I wasn't really a Trump supporter, as he told me that day, but he was a, an elected official at the county level. He was like, yeah, I can't get good service for my cable company. I, I recognize the need for rules that will protect me from monopoly abuse by Comcast. Uh, you know, so I, I do think a lot of these issues, not just that neutrality, but broadband policy in general, are not really that partisan out in the real world. And yet here in Washington, we have to pretend that they are and, and deal with that it's reality. I mean, it's true that it's partisan here. It's just a a political concoction that I don't think reflects the way people think about these things outside of BC for the most part
2: and and that's the irony because one of the talking points about net neutrality is that it's a government takeover of the internet yeah. you know, we hear that time and time again but it's the absence of net neutrality that allows it to take over the internet if you don't have net neutrality it's a Comcast or a Time Warner takeover yeah. of the internet and yeah, uh, they'll get to the for you. Yeah,
3: exactly. I mean it's there's nothing in the net neutrality rules, nor should there ever be anything like this anywhere that says you know, the government gets to decide what websites say. Uh, you know, there are carve outs, so net neutrality protects lawful material. Um, and you know, this is this is nothing new to the telecom or technology space. This is the same old person debates about shouting fire in a crowded theater or right. a vicinity or you know, hate speech or anything else you might want to throw out there, is a less protected form of speech. But nothing about the net neutrality rule says, you know, these people are allowed to speak or, or these people aren't, or these messages are allowed. It's exactly, as you said, a check on corporations making those choices for us. And that's where some of the breakdowns come with uh, those who might describe themselves as pro-technology but more libertarian in nature. They see lots of problems with government surveillance, government control of speech. And so do we. It's just that when we turn around and say, hey, what about Comcast or Verizon doing it? That's a problem too, right? You get less enthusiasm from some quarters of uh, probably both the Republican Party and the, the technology space who are less willing to advocate for rules and checks and balances on corporate.
2: You're right. Reach. And, and so, you know, given the the mergers that are going on, do, do you mm-hmm. see this FCC addressing the kind of concentration that's going on in the that space?
3: Yeah, I mean, not to be too in the moment, but that was another topic of discussion at today's FCC oversight hearing in the Senate Commerce Committee, and the big deal that's on the well, lots of others are rumors, but AT&T announced it wanted to buy Time Warner, uh, which is not the cable company that people in Los Angeles might have been used to, but the entertainment company they, they split up several years ago and this means hbo and cnn and the turner broadcast networks and a lot of other properties with these studios so at&t announced in october right before the election as it turned out that they would like to buy time warner and uh, one of the biggest media deals we've seen ever and you know just to so again point up the point out fissures and possible fractures in the republican party and in the trump electorate on this issue then candidate president trump said i don't like this media consolidation is bad too much media power in one company hands. we would never allow this kind of merger to go through if i were president well what do you know now he is the president yeah i I think a lot of his uh anti-merger sentiment there was probably fueled by frankly pretty ugly stuff that is anti-media and anti-journalism uh just constantly being at war with the press but without giving it too much credit you know there was also this kernel in there of a rightful antitrust urge and you know antitrust in both in terms of economic power and political power that the media space is special and the way we communicate our ideas to each other and share news with each other is deserving of protection and diversity of voices that's what net that neutrality is actually looking to guarantee online that you don't have the same kind right. of gatekeepers who have controlled the TV platform for so long exercising that same gatekeeper power over the internet. And yet, for some people, they're not able to connect those dots.
2: Now, you know, we talked a little bit earlier offline. You know, the, the Trump administration obviously does not have a, a very favorable impression of the news media you know, going so far as to call it the enemy of the people. And yeah. the 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 Federal Communications Commission has a role in regulating um, media over the airwaves. I mean, is that a fair, a fair statement?
3: Yeah, I mean, it licenses broadcasters, so it's not that as many people as once did watch TV over the air, but if you do, that's thanks to an FCC license that gives that broadcaster exclusive use of a certain channel, certain swath of the airwaves. And then it also has a role, uh, not so much in the uh, licensing of cable pro- content, but in the relationship that cable companies have to both their viewers and to the programmers. So there are rules that prevent cable companies from demanding a financial stake in an independent cable channel, for example, which is why the NFL network fought with cable companies for years. People have a a memory of that. right? And there are are rules that say, you know, the cable company, if it owns content like the regional sports networks, uh, think about the the Dodgers dispute that people are not just football fans or baseball fans uh, closer to your home.
2: Right, going into its third or fourth year now, yeah. Yeah,
3: and he has to make that content available to its rival satellite and cable companies on reasonably fair terms. So, you know, yeah, there is FCC the oversight less so the cable TV side of media than in the broadcast space, but it is there uh, in both halves of that equation when, it, when it's a license over the air or also even when there are uh, wires carrying information back and forth. So it's it definitely got a role to play as, I uh, would think that calling the media the enemy of the American people would not be something anybody at the FCC could support. But this is what we were talking about before we got on the air. Was the Chairman Pai today was not really willing his president and to disagree with that statement when asked by a couple of different Democratic senators in the hearing today.
2: And that's that's very troubling. But well, we're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we're gonna wrap up and, and and kind of close out that thought. Um but but we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on cranberry.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
0: Is your website hacked? Cranberry.fm
1: Content for your ears Ah! and everything in between. Ah! Cranberry.fm The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: And we're back and we're, we're talking about what about uh, what's going on on the Hill today and the last couple of weeks in the Trump administration on net neutrality. And and Matt, as you walked away from the Senate Commerce Committee t- today, do you have a sense of where this might be going?
3: You know, it seems like I ought to, but I think for all the reasons we've been talking about, it's just hard to know. We have a pretty well-defined universe of the possible here. You know, the FCC chairman could either try to ignore the rules to death without moving against them, or he could try to change them. And he's already done that to some degree. You know, there's a a transparency uh, a set of transparency rules that they have granted some exemptions to, extended uh, exemptions for so-called small broadband providers um, just a, a couple weeks ago. So he's done a few things to, to tweak them and it's a play around the edges, but. That would be one route. Another much more aggressive route would be for the FCC chairman to try to overturn the rules and reverse them and say, told you so, I I was right when I dissented two years ago. And
2: and that has resonance, that has ideological resonance, that that's red meat for a certain sector of the Republican base, correct?
3: I think so. I mean, I keep saying I don't know that it's, it resonates with the base as much as it resonates with the lobbyists and the some of the lawmakers here in D.C. But yeah, it would be I think more consistent with the position he staked out. Uh, lengthy dissent in 2015 to try to undo the rules and I'm not hopeful that he'll try that. I mean, I think we have a good shot at winning that fight despite the people who've opposed that neutrality for so long having all the power in Washington right now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for that fight. That's is and should be settled law, the D.C. Circuit spoke, the FCC returned to the Communications Act and the right part of it. And, and, you know, there's really nothing to fix here, as I think uh, some of the Democratic senators pointed out today. Like, everything's fine. Uh, So the notion that there's something to fix here is pretty far-fetched, and yet that is what the GI and uh, a lot of his counterparts in the House and the Senate have been pretending for the last couple of years that, that somehow net neutrality was a, you know, at least as done by the previous FCC, was an overreach and a power grab and a partisan play, and that's just not true. It just hasn't prevented them from saying it again and again.
2: Of course, yeah. You, you the, don't make me be right. Just give me a microphone. And right. but the, there is the the one argument that keeps we keep hearing is. Well, net neutrality will stifle innovation and will stifle investment in broadband. And is there any evidence of that at all?
3: I mean, there are a couple studies that float around that we have tried to kill, and yet they were trotted out yet again today in the Senate. It's a little bit silly, I think I have to say at the start, to look at total investment in a very high fixed cost industry like broadband. And to pretend that it should be rocketing up year after year, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. ATT's investment actually did dip a little bit in 2015, which was the year that the rules were adopted. And, you know, we've had, again, it's just a few of them, but it's one trade association in particular and one uh, economist who sells his wares here in Washington. They say, ah, look, ATT's investment is down. Like okay, well, why is that? Is it because of the legal classification of their services changing? You know, even they can't bring themselves to say they can prove a cause, but they just say, well, it looks funny. We have this new legal framework back in place, and their investment's down. The truth is that AT&T finished a big upgrade in 2014, and so you know, broadband networks are deserving of attention and at upgrade and maintenance, but you don't have to rebuild them every single year. Be like saying, you know, if you if you didn't rebuild your house every single year, you're not, there's something wrong with the economy. You, know, you should be spending the same money to, to build it year after year, even if you've already built it. And so, yeah, there are a couple companies who were down in their investments. There are more who are up. And all of the credible numbers, I think, is the way that Commissioner Clyburn, who's the lone Democrat at the FCC, said it today. You know, the numbers these companies report to their shareholders and the Census Bureau. Studies of the broadband investment show that the aggregate total is up despite a couple companies having gone down. Uh, and, and that's what we would expect. We would expect them to make businesses not based on regulations alone. And you have a couple flawed studies that I keep saying have cooked the books and pretended to show an overall decline that's just
2: not. Real. Now, one thing that, that is last month, the New York Attorney General filed a lawsuit against Time Warner Cable. Um, largely out of um, claiming that their statements to consumers regarding the broadband speed that they would deliver was fraudulent, that they didn't have the capacity to deliver the speed they were promising, and they gave them defective, you know, router equipment, etc. Yeah. But there's another part of that complaint that basically says that Time Water Cable was was basically saying to content providers you had to pay to play that they were playing the gatekeeper role, and if you want to get access to my peeps, you, you've got to pay a little extra. And isn't that a warning of, of what could happen without with that neutrality?
3: Yeah, I and mean, I think you're talking about the interconnection angle, um, which also came up in 2014 when people were experiencing slowdowns on Netflix. Yes. And it wasn't because their connections were slow, although either out of negligence or possibly being instructed to do, that was, with the first, that was the first thing the customer service representative would tell people, you know, maybe you should upgrade to our higher speeds here. It turned out that the network wasn't congested uh, for the, the connection that you or I might buy. Uh, what was congested was the entry port for the Netflix traffic. Uh, and it wasn't just Netflix, but, I mean, they were among... The largest companies affected by it, but there were lots of other collateral damage uh, in these disputes. And so, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, the old 2005 era, AT&T, or I guess he was then the SBC Southwestern Bell yes. CEO, Ed Whitaker said that it, these content companies can't use my pipes for free. That was almost what Ron Johnson wanted to dust off today. The Senator from Wisconsin, that he was mounting a, a historic defense of blocking, um, you know, it's, it's not using for free. I mean, you and I and all the listeners out there pay a lot for their broadband connection and right. should be free to go and get whatever content they want from it. The notion that Google or Netflix or anybody else should not only pay for their own Internet connections, but also for the privilege of sending traffic over the connection I've already paid for it myself.
2: That's the point. Know,
3: there's, there's a word for that. It's, it's double charging. It's
2: not yeah, like double. Yeah. kind of
3: natural way to do it.
2: You've built the um, road, and you're, you're paying for the road, and now they want to put a toll on it. Um,
3: yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the the person in the middle with all the control who wants people to pay it, you know, free shipping is the analogy they try to use to defend this all the time. Like, what would be wrong with Google paying free shipping? We have that in the real world. But it's not free shipping if both the sender and the receiver pay for it. So right. that, that's double... That's double-charging. That's double-dipping. That is not free to anybody involved. And that's really the game that the cable and phone companies would like to play, find more ways to squeeze money not only out of their existing customers but out of deep pockets and startups alike who are on the other end of that Internet connection.
2: So what should people who support net neutrality be doing now?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we are... said a few times here we're not really sure where the threat's going to come we just know that it's going to come so we haven't <laughs> they, that's say, you know mounted any kind of all-out defense uh because right now it's mostly just bad and even ridiculous stray remarks in congressional hearings or you know saber rattling in a press release or in an, an op-ed so you know freepress.net is our website we always have uh, ways for people to get involved, not just on net neutrality, but on affordability issues and privacy which is under threat right now to a host of other things that the, the journalism and even the surveillance space where we try to play a role uh, countering surveillance, I should be clear. Uh, so, you know, net neutrality is always one of our top priorities. We have stuff people can not only read and learn about right now, but steps they can take to contact their member of Congress or the FCC and let them know how they feel. Uh, a lot and, of other groups do too. It's just, it's not really a, you know, it's not in a fever pitch at this moment because the attacks have been promised but not really followed
2: through on at this point. So it's like that, it's like that horror movie. You, you know, you don't know where it is, but you know it's out there because you, you paid tickets to go, paid the money to go see a horror movie. You, you, you just know, don't go into the woods. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
3: uh, right. And maybe, maybe we'll be able to change the ending of the horror movie and make it into, uh, Romantic comedy instead, or something. Uh, let,
2: caught, let, you know. Let's ho- let's hope. So, I want to thank you very much for joining us, and you, you've been a very good friend of the show. And um especially since you're just you're coming back from the the Senate Commerce Committee hearing, and uh, we appreciate you, you you giving us this update. Uh, it's an important issue, and and um, let us know how what we can do to help you uh in this fight. And congrat I want to congratulate you on. The uh, the broad coalition you guys have pulled together of uh, what 171 interest groups that have written to Congress and um, the chairman FCC chairman, urging them not to touch net neutrality, and so um, I just you know keep let us know how we can work with you and um, thanks for joining us and uh, what's the best way if if people can follow you on Twitter or.
3: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I, there's a there's an F in the middle of my name, which I promise is for my real middle name. So it's it's Matt F Wood on Twitter. It's Free Press uh, is our Twitter handle for the organization. We said, we're a we're a .net for the website, so Free Press .net for people to get more information on all the issues we've talked about today and more.
2: Great, and we have links to all the background and information on Matt and Free Press on our show notes at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com Matt thank you very much we really appreciate it um, that's all we have for um, this week um, join us next week we're going to have a representative from the Southern Poverty Law Center to talk about the year in hate um, there's been a large spike in hate crimes and hate on the internet and we're going to be talking about that um, so definitely you want to be here for, uh, to, for that um, in addition, um, we're going to be covering a number of other issues. I want to give some shout outs to some of our. Uh, we have a, a blog on our blog. There's information on some of our past guests in the news, including John, for our good friend John Ferrara. Just another round of funding. So um, check it out on the blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress. Check out our Twitter feed, cyberlawradio. And um, check us out at the Internet Law Center, internetlawcenter.net. We're a full service internet law firm. And until next week, this is Bennett Kelly. Um, have a great week, and we'll be here next week. Take care. The
1: opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.